The epistle lesson is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 10. So also Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but was appointed by the one who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you, as he says also in another place. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, also Jesus offered up prayers and supplications, with loud cries and tears, to the one who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Having been designated by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. The word of the Lord. When I was given the scripture passage for this Tuesday Sunday and read over it, my mind had no idea where to go and I had no clue how I was going to write something to share. Just like I do with my BC Calculus homework, I literally just stared down at what was placed in front of me, except the calculus seemed exceptionally easy compared to these particular verses in Hebrews. Basically, this passage is telling us that Jesus perfectly fulfills and exceeds the qualifications for the high priest. He exceeds these qualifications by being a priest forever. No duh, right? Jesus didn't just push all of the other priests to the side, put his fingers in the loopholes of his jeans, and say, there's a new priest in town. And not just a priest, but a high priest. He himself wasn't the one who decided that he should have this role. God did. Now, what exactly is different about the high priest compared to all of the other priests during this time? Well, first off, The high priest, Jesus, was someone who was immersed in the normalness around him. He was the teenager at lunch who sat at literally every lunch table with the good, the bad, and the weary. Why did he choose to do this? Because he gets it. He gets us. He feels what we feel. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus prayed and learned obedience through what he suffered. Somewhat, kind of, not really similar to circumstances that we go through too. In 2013, I was not praying, I was not learning how to be obedient, and I was was giving myself to a God who I thought understood. Oh, how wrong I was. I was sitting right up there, listening, or trying to listen, to Pastor Malambri's sermon, as well as scribbling down calculations of the 270 calories that I ate in a day. Two months later, I was still being tempted by what I called my friend anorexia and landed myself in an inpatient facility in the town of the lovely Blue Devils. Go Duke. You're welcome, Pastor Malambri. (laughs) That first day was filled with so many emotions and strangers, but one person was with me who seemed to know me extremely well, Jesus. This point in my life made Jesus go from a blur to a crystal clear image, just like using the fade in transition for a slide in a PowerPoint presentation. Jesus, from the get-go, felt what I was feeling. He was just waiting for me to catch on that he felt what I was feeling and still does when I struggle, because he struggled too. Without this interaction in my life with Jesus, I would still be failing to recover on my own. If our sin is so hideous, 
that God required nothing less than the death of his perfect, sinless son as the only solution, then we would be foolish to think that any human solution will suffice. Why did he have to offer up loud crying or tears if we're inherently good enough to get into heaven? Why did Jesus have to suffer and die if we can be saved by our own efforts? Anything that adds our works to Christ's sacrifice as a necessary condition for salvation is an affront to his atoning death. Jesus can sympathize with our weaknesses because he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Jesus' intense struggle in the Garden of Gethsemane was not just over the thought of the physical agony of crucifixion. He was struggling with the thought of being separated from God as he took our sins upon himself. Jesus shed an immense amount of tears in the garden, and this shows us that even though Jesus is a high priest, fully God, and knew the cross was central to God's plan, the putting into place of these plans was not easy at all. I knew I had to recover, but getting to the finish line of recovery was everything but easy. Jesus' suffering in the garden and on the cross was more intense than we can ever imagine because we do not know what it was like to be one with the Father from all eternity until that dreadful hour. In verse 5, when it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. It does not mean that he was formally disobedient. Jesus learned obedience in the sense that he experienced what obedience means through what he suffered. He was always obedient to the Father's will, but the proof of obedience is revealed in situations where obedience is not pleasant. When I was placed into treatment for anorexia, I had to learn, my, I had to learn many strategies on how to defeat it for good and also learned that I needed to be obedient to recovery since I was literally at the point of going into cardiac arrest. The thought of dying forced me to become obedient. You would think that it would be easy for me to want to recover since I was literally at the point of death. However, my obedience was revealed when I learned that recovery was going to be a lot harder than it seemed. I eventually learned that the suffering I felt during my eating disorder turned into an obedience in life that I had always wanted all along. The point is that Jesus is our perfect high priest and that his prayers and obedience through his sufferings show that he can sympathize with us in our sufferings. Therefore, we should obediently persevere in trials through prayer. No lie, BC calculus is nothing but an uphill battle. I studied straight after school all the way into the early mornings. I have been extremely obedient to this course. And I can tell you, studying for that long of a duration is not pleasant when you are handed a grade back from a test that is definitely not on your side. These situations and grades have made me persevere, continuing to be obedient to this course, and eventually understand what the limits, as n approaches infinity, of cosine x over sine x is. You get my point. My family has a, a lifelong friend who has recently been diagnosed with insulinoma. Her doctors discovered that more than half of her kidneys were covered by a mass and that she would at this point have to see if it could be removed. They told her the cancer could either spread or be encapsulated and that her hematoma levels were extremely high. 
With this, she pulled out her phone and immediately texted all of her contacts to pray for her through her journey. At her next appointment, surprisingly, they discovered her cancer was encapsulated and would be easy to remove with little risk of spreading. They also told her that her hematoma levels had dropped significantly. The power of prayer by her texting all of her contacts is astounding beyond words. You cannot separate saving faith from obedient faith or unbelief from disobedience. Those who truly believe in Jesus as Savior live in obedience to him as Lord. Those who claim to believe in him but live in disobedience to him are not truly saved. The work of Jesus, the perfect high priest, is a source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Eternal salvation is contrasted with the temporary nature of the Old Old Testament sacrifices, which could never make perfect those who offered them. The word translated the source of eternal salvation means the cause. The cause of our salvation is not that God foresaw that we would believe. The cause of our salvation is that the tree in God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Jesus became the cause of our salvation to all those who obey him. This is not teaching salvation by works. Rather, to have saving, saving faith is to obey Jesus, who commanded, repent and believe in the gospel. In verse 10, the text comes back to Jesus, or to God, designating Jesus as a high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, which places him in a category by himself, above the other Levitical priests. Jesus Christ perfectly fulfills and exceeds the qualifications of the high priest in the Old Testament. Unlike the Levitical priests around him, Jesus could identify with the weakness of the people, was completely a part of God's overall plan, and had no sin of his own. To go back to that old system would be to return to a severely inferior system and to abandon the high priest that we all desperately need. God's love for us does not preclude taking us through trials. The Father loved the Son, and yet the cross was his destiny. He loves us, and yet brings us to glory through many sufferings. No one ever said that they learned their deepest lessons of life or had their sweetest encounters with God on the sunny days. Ask UVA's great coach, Tony Bennett, and my mom about the loss the other night. People go deep with God when the drought comes. Never interpret God's love by your circumstances, but always interpret your circumstances by his love. Feeling deep emotions during trials is not wrong, but we must submit our emotions to the will of God. The comment, emotions aren't right or wrong, emotions just are, has a grain of truth in it, but a lot of error. The truth is, don't deny the emotions that you're experiencing. The error is, your emotions may be acceptable in God's sight, or they may be sinful. Grief in a time of loss is acceptable. Railing at God or being bitter towards Him is sinful. Even if God stripped us of everything, as He did with Job, we should, through our tears, say with Job, The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Even as God answered Christ's prayers 
for deliverance through death and resurrection as he sometimes answers our prayers in ways that seem contradictory to our requests. There is debate about the content of Jesus' request in the garden. If he was asking to be saved from death, in what sense was his prayer heard? Since he was not delivered from that awful death, probably Jesus was asking to be sustained through the agony of bearing our sins and to be brought through death into resurrection and complete restoration with the Father. The word piety is better rendered reverent submission. It refers to his reverential submission to the will of the Father when he prayed, Not my will, but yours be done. Some say that we are not praying in faith if we pray, Lord, your will be done. They say that we must be bold to ask God for what we want and claim it by faith. I can see my 10-year-old self sitting in my room saying, Lord, your will be done, but please bring me a life-size Harry Styles cutout for Christmas. I sure did nail the bold part, a little off on the by-faith part. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. God answered Jesus' prayer by sustaining him through the cross and into the resurrection and ascension. He may not answer our request exactly as we pray, somewhat like a genie in a bottle. Often we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You need a high priest because God is infinitely holy and you are a sinner. Jesus Christ is that high priest, the only one. He gets it. Flee to him for salvation and live. Thanks be to God.